0: Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of How to Live the Podcast, where we have real, meaningful, and fun conversations with people who inspire us, and sometimes
1: just with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon. and this week, if you don't know, we have partnered with the Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival, aka our favorite fashion festival ever, to deliver you an audio experience of the festival wherever you are in the world. We are chatting to designers, stylists, and entrepreneurs about the secrets to their successes, how they've built their careers, and so much more.
0: Now, guys, we also have a very special announcement. We do have some tickets left for our live show this Saturday where we're going to be interviewing the one and only Queen Mother, Kath Wills from (laughs) Sands Beast.
1: She's our Queen Mother. She kind of is.
0: Yep. So that's going down at 4 p.m. this coming Saturday in the VIP lounge at Vamp.
1: We would just love to see you there. We're so excited because it's kind of our first real ticketed live episode ever ever. But we are doing lots of live podcasting for the rest of this week. Actually, I think this is our last non-live episode. Should we tell them who it's with?
0: It is with the wonderful Glennis Trell Nash. She is the red-headed lady. The red-headed, very fabulous lady. So she is the fashion editor for the Australian newspaper and one of Australia's most highly regarded fashion writers. She's actually written for so many places. The Sunday Telegraph, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, InStyle, just to name a few. A lazy few.
1: Just a lazy few. She's
0: also a jazz singer, but we'll get into that one later. For now, enjoy Glennis. <laughs> Glynis, we're very excited to sit down with you. It's been fun because we've known you for a few years now, but we haven't really delved into your past like we have in the last couple of days when we were doing research. And when we were kind of reading about you, we laughed when we read your bio on The Australian because it ends in once more with feeling, leggings are not pants, (laughs) which made us really laugh. So can you tell us about your distaste for leggings?
2: Look, it's a personal mission. I feel very passionately, very strongly about this, that leggings are fine if you are at the gym, if you are en route to the gym, if you are doing a walk, if you're doing anything actually active. They are perfectly acceptable. I wear them when I want to be active, but as a fashion piece, no. I don't want to see you wearing them in a cafe. I don't want to see you wearing them at lunch. Absolutely not. I just, I just, it's just, it's a boundaries thing for me. I really just like, you know what? I know we're increasingly casual in the way we dress, but no, there have to be limits. And that is my, like to the point where I have a girlfriend who I go to yoga with and in Potts Point in Sydney, right? So it's a pretty small neighbourhood, lots of cafes, lots of everything's very close. We walk everywhere. Now, my house is about five blocks from where we do yoga. Not far. And she said, right, should we grab a coffee? And I'm like, or grab lunch. I'm like, not dressed like this, I'm not. She's like, Oh, I know, I knew you would say that. (laughs) And I'm like, So we can go home to my place and I will change and then we can go out for lunch. (laughs) She's like
1: fine (laughs) oh my god I have to say I'm the total opposite where like I love it because I get dressed up a lot for work and I love on a weekend that I can just like get into active wear and no matter where I go no matter what I do people just assume I was just exercising and that's why I'm dressed like that you know like I feel like it's the perfect excuse to like have a little hiatus from my fashion life.
2: Yeah, look, I get that. I am kind of a slob by default and like I have house jeans. They don't leave the house to be fair. <laughs> like they are like <laughs> like really like eight years old. They're actually two sizes too big, which is nice to be able to say, <laughs> and ripped and just hideous. So I wear them literally as far out the door as to put the rubbish out. So
1: we would love to hear about how you did get into fashion journalism in the first place.
2: <laughs> yes, it's, it's a long and winding tale, but I'll try and give you the very short version. I was basically trying to be a jazz singer and I was always working as a day job in publishing. So whether that was like my first job, As I was finishing university in Perth, I had a job in the publications department at UWA, which was like a half-time job, which was like the perfect introduction to learning how to proofread and sub-edit and write a little newsletter every fortnight and, oh, proofread the bloody faculty phone books. Oh, my God, is there a more tedious job? No, but it was very good training. And then I was kind of always singing on the side and doing some acting on the side and then I moved to London when I was 25. I've just aged myself, I think, um, (laughs) purely to kind of pursue the music and sort of performance side of things but I always had to eat and I always had to have a day job and I ended up being a freelance sub-editor over there which was, I was very busy. So I always had work and then I moved back to Australia, got a job at Who magazine as a sub-editor and then they asked if I would write a beauty page for them because they didn't have one. And I think they realized that the advertising would be quite useful (laughs) from the beauty industry. So I think it was purely because I was the only girl in the office that maybe wore bright lipstick. I don't know. But anyway, I said, yeah, I would totally love to do that because in the back of my mind, there had always been this little thing that I would really like to write about fashion. And I was always into fashion and my mum and I used to sew and stuff. You know, I went through a lot of retro phases in my teens. I was doing that. And then I got a call from, InStyle saying, hey, have you thought about applying for this job as the fashion news editor at InStyle? And I was like, stupidly, naively, I had not. Because I knew I knew the job was up but and I knew I wanted to do that. But sometimes I'm just a bit blinkered and uh, I was like, oh, should I? And they're like, yeah, yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay, great. So that was lucky and that was kind of <clears throat> 16 years ago, I think now, oh, God. I feel like
1: as women, sometimes we do need that little push. Like, that's so common that we're just like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, Yeah, I could. Because that
2: is actually something I would want to do and have thought about.
1: Oh, yeah. What I love most about that story is that you had this creative dream and you needed like a serious job so that you could do your creative thing. And then you went out and got another creative job. You know, like, I (laughs) I feel like that's so cool. Like, a lot of people. So I went into accounting, nine to five, so I could sing after hours. But, you know, like that's pretty cool. Yeah,
2: you know, as the job has gotten... Increasingly um, serious, the gigs have dropped off, but I still do, and it's been a great ride.
0: So now you are the fashion editor of the Australian. So we'd love to know, like, what does a day in your life as a fashion editor look like? Because it sounds real glam. It
2: sounds so glamorous. Yeah. And sometimes every just when you say it, you just go, yeah. It's, it's let's not, just leave it there. Let's just yeah. leave it there, because <laughs> if you saw my daily reality, you would go, really? At, the, at its most banal, it is like any office job. Like I get into the office, scour news feeds and that kind of thing and websites and stuff, see what's happening. I have a lot of things that I just have to tick off on a weekly basis anyway, like regular stories and columns and things like that. So there's always a baseline of what I sort of have to deliver. And then on top of that is news coverage and sort of extra features for, say, Wish Magazine, which is our, you know, glossy luxury, which is lovely to write for. And, And The Weekend Magazine, I have a page there as well. So there's lots of different elements to it. I write for the business pages as well. And they're really receptive, actually, which is fantastic. So that's been... That for me, this job has been great to extend my knowledge base and, and what I get to write about. Um, Is which that fantastic. like
0: fashion business? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah.
2: So that's been really good. So they're
0: taking us seriously now. Oh yeah, oh, I, oh, I will great. say that
2: if I can say this, I do feel the Australians—the one newspaper that really actually takes fashion quite seriously awesome. in all ways which is really refreshing frankly because I've worked at a few <laughs> anyway but like, I could just be at the office a lot of days not so much nine to five more like ten to six
0: and then like on weeks like this where you're like at a fashion week is that the glamorous side or is it's that even not still
2: not good? even very glamorous <laughs> yeah. it's about an hour of glamour which really involves me at about 6 o'clock going, shit, I need to get in a cab to get to a show, throw on a frock, throw on some lipstick, get out the door because I'm usually just at the hotel working or I'm coming out to do things like this or interview people or do a quick photo shoot or something like that and you really wish that in a week like this you just had the time to, oh, you know, all those people in Melbourne that I never get to see, I would really love to see them, yeah. that designer and that brand and, that, and it's just like, no, I've got a summit to finish writing and all mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, but, you know, when you're at the shows, say, that's a completely different beast again because if you're in Paris, which I do probably more than any others, I do Paris Couture more than other sort of fashion weeks, which is excellent. That is the dream, right? Paris haute Couture was always the thing to me that I thought was the most incredible. And so I do that quite regularly. And on one of those days, it'll usually mean getting to bed at about 2am once you've filed your final bit for the paper, because they're up. So you want to be up for a couple of hours while the office is up in Sydney, getting in. And then You'll get up, you'll look at your schedule. Uh, the night before I actually will, <laughs> will have sat with Google Maps for <laughs> about an hour working out. <laughs> because we don't get cars, right? You know, some magazine editors get cars. They do in shows. the movies. They do in the they still A few of them still get it here, let me just tell you, but not newspapers. No, no, we're on the metro or we're walking or we're schlepping or scabbing lifts where we can. So I'm usually working out, okay, is it quicker for me to walk to the next show or should I get the metro or should I just get a cab to that one? So saving the company money, Mm. you know, all of that. Then you're finding Wi-Fi where you can, you're filing copy where you can, you're going to the next show, then you're, you're just running around all day and then waking up with jet lag at six in the morning, having only had three or four hours sleep going, oh, shit, is there any crises? Are there any crises at work? No, no, no. Okay, try and go back to sleep. <laughs> uh,
0: I feel so. like I can kind of relate to that because it sounds similar to when we kind of have to do things like that. Like often my friends will be like, wow, you know, you go to Paris or New York. And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. And I'm going to wait head- at Starbucks every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. And then in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to be so busy. I'm not going to have time to think for like seven days. Like totally. that's what goes through my head.
2: Well, actually, London is great because in London you've got Pret-a-Manger. That's
0: exactly what we're saying. I
2: can eat three meals a day at Pret-a-Manger oh, during at, Fashion And we do.
0: Oh, at,
2: and then just right? a
1: restaurant, the sushi, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's kind of the fun of it, you know? Yes. Oh, totally. It's, it's totally. not glamorous. No. But it's so much fun and, yeah. like, that rush of it. Like, it's why we do it. It's yeah, why we totally, love it. totally, like,
2: totally. I know. I'm playing it down, I think. But it is, like, it's exciting, you know? Yeah. It's totally exciting. But it's 5% glamour.
1: Well, glamour can be boring, you know? If it was 100% glamour. Yeah, we're not beauty queens, nah. you know. Yeah.
0: We're not nah. models. We nah. don't need to be. Nah.
1: No. So, I think people listening, you know, would be like, okay, well, fashion editor like that's kind of a job that I want to kind of dream to have one day and we're all about supporting big dreams. What are kind of some of the steps that you feel like people could take earlier in their careers or if they want to have a career change in order to build up their resumes and experience
2: to even one day get to be a fashion editor? Wow, it is such an interesting question today because it is so much harder now, I think. And I think fashion is certainly in the last 10 years, has had that explosion of interest and and on so many different platforms and and social media has exploded. So it's just the interest around it has risen in a way that it's just so much more visible than it was. And when I used to talk to people about getting a break into publishing per se or writing or editing or, or, or of any sort, my advice always used to be learn to be a sub-editor because you will always get work. You can take that to any English-speaking country People would get jobs in like Dubai, or they'd get jobs in Hong Kong, or they could get jobs in Europe. You know, there was always work if you were a good sub editor.
0: Sorry, what is a sub editor? I just have no yeah, idea. Yeah, okay, I'm not a writer so so the sub
2: editors are the unsung heroes in publishing, and they are the ones that correct other people's copy. They check that the captions are right for the photos. Oh, it's, it's I'd correct. be
1: so good at this. show. Right? amazing! It I, is, I, I yeah. love this. Like I love checking over people's oh. things. The other day I got bread from Woodfrog, and on there packaging, there was a typo. So I DM them on Insta and I was like, hey, just thought you guys would want to know. Oh move. my God. Born
2: sub-editor. Yes, oh. <laughs> absolutely. That is exactly it. Like I can spot a, a comma that's in italics that should not be in italics at oh, 20 paces. Yeah. It upsets me. And the, use, the misuse of apostrophes. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Don't stop You me. and it's, Stephanie could talk wow. for oh, Wow. Like that. seriously. So we're, the, the sub-editors, the people that correct all the grammar, make it print perfect, right? Gotcha. And That's a very behind the scenes job and it's a really good job and it was always for me the best training in journalism was to do that and I still remember when I I was when I first started at The Australian like nearly seven years ago, wow, about a month or two in one of the guys, the journalists on the back bench who are kind of like the, where all the senior news editors sit. He said, oh, wow, well, how are you enjoying it? I said, I'm really loving it. And he said, yeah, we love getting your copy. And I thought, oh, that's so nice. And he went, yeah, it's the cleanest copy we get. And I went, oh, that's why. Okay, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. That's I'll the take that. That's sub-editing experience. Exactly. But that's changed because there are not that many sub-editor jobs anymore. There, a lot of them are offshore now. But it's just like any newspaper magazine, they've really cut that back. So that's no longer a good stepping stone. So anyway, that was a long-winded way of entry into this. But, I mean, I'm always astounded when I am approached by people to maybe intern or something like that. When they send their CVs through, dear God, it's like... So much more prolific in what they've done than anything I would have done it by that stage. You know, they've all got podcasts, they've got blogs, they've got this. They've written for their local newspaper, they've written for their college newspaper. That it's just like, wow.
1: And is that the stuff that stands out to you?
2: Yeah, it kind of makes me feel really inadequate. Also,
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're like you can just no. have my job, right? It's
2: like, whoa, okay. Yeah, that's how it works now, isn't it?
0: So if everyone is doing that and that's the benchmark, then how do you possibly stand out? What is it about someone that contacts you that you're like, oh, okay, this is a step above the rest?
2: Well, okay, I have a couple of things that I am always very particular about. And one is that people are really polite.
1: Yeah, that's important.
2: (laughs) And persistent, but in a really polite way. Mm,
1: It's a balancing act, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Because you don't want people to just give up after the first try, but at the same time, you don't want pushy people.
1: Absolutely. And there's such a fine line. Yeah, it's a fine line. Well, we had an intern who had a Uh, job interview the other day and afterwards she came to us and she was like should I follow up should I just send them an email and I was like definitely send them an email because we get that and you'll have like one in five that sends you a a little follow-up you don't want it to be too pushy but I was like if there's something that was talked about during the interview that you could just like send them through to be like oh hey you we we were chatting about this here's
2: a link to it I
1: feel like that makes all the difference and
2: they were listening yeah yeah Yeah, that's very good so I I really think the politeness thing is Quite important, and like not being too like, oh hey, I really, I'd love to talk. Is this like? Just introduce yourself. Be like I've had, I have had. have people at Fashion Weeks and stuff often just come up and say, oh, hi, my name's so-and-so. I really like what you do and I'd love to talk to you about it. I, I find it quite hard to have interns because we can travel quite a lot at the moment, clearly. But last year it was one of those really hectic travel years and it's hard to commit as far in advance as you need to to have two solid weeks with someone. Mm-hmm. And I've been such a solo operator for so long, I'm really bad at delegating and that's something I need to basically oh, yeah. learn how to do, Know, skill in itself and manage people but I'm always always saying to people it may not be practical to be in the office for 2 weeks but I'm on email I'm at the end of the phone anytime you want to sit down if you're in Sydney we can have a coffee we can have lunch I'm very happy to spend the time in between whatever else that we can organize to talk about it and run ideas so
1: if you are out at an event because we saw you out at New York Fashion Week for yeah. years and we were always like, oh, there's goodness. Oh, my God, we got to say <laughs> hi. So funny. Yeah, and, you know, is that a good way for people to approach people they want to work with or does it, is it a little bit too much sometimes or do you feel like if it's, like, done in a, in a tasteful way, that's a great way to go about networking? Oh,
2: if it's done in a timely way, like, you can suss a situation, you know what I mean, like... If you can see someone's deep in conversation with someone, just maybe that's not the time to do it. But if there's like – there's often those moments where you're just standing around on on your bloody phone or something, you know, just – swiping for no reason or you're just you know in a larger group and it's not too intense then you know wait for that moment where you just think okay now I can say hello Mm.
0: yeah that seems to be the general consensus when we chat to people and I think it really comes down to like a confidence that's really attractive in people because Mm. I know from doing it myself you know you really have to get yourself up to do it but like if someone would come up to me I'd be like wow that's like so don't want to use the word ballsy because I feel like it's gendered but I will (laughs) it's so brave And so that's like shows something great. On another topic, I guess we were really excited to sit down with you and chat about how you actually go about crafting a story because that's something that really interests me. So like, can you talk us through your process a bit from like, you know, is it about getting the pitch and then you move from there or how does it all work?
2: Look, in terms of what stories I might decide to write, they can come about in any way. Often the way the industry works at the moment, obviously a lot of things do come through via PRs and that. I will push back more often than I will say yes. And the best relationships I have with PRs are the ones where they just pick up the phone. They say, what do you think of this? And I'm like, yeah, but can we take it from this perspective? Because I just think that's too obvious. And they're like, great. Or I just say you know what absolutely not and they go great thanks bye <laughs> you know? and I will say it as I see it and there's an understanding and a mutual respect on both sides but the best stories I think are the ones that you just find however you know just from talking to people at events or that, in passing
1: I find that really interesting that you're receptive to PRs just calling you oh god yeah and from a brand perspective you know when we were trying to get our first press we would often just call journalists is that a thing that like if a startup founder just called you and was like hey Glenis, I just wanted to run this idea by you or is that I don't know you need to build the relationship. I think it's more of a
2: relationship building thing because people don't know what your deadlines are. There are some really basic things. If you're trying to get noticed by journalists, there's some really basic stuff to factor in. For example, I get quite a few emails that are just sent to fashion at the Australian. Hi, I'd love you to look at this thing I've got. You don't know my name You don't know my email address. You haven't bothered to find out. And I know it sounds really arrogant, but my first lesson when I was trying to crack into it, when I moved to Sydney because I'm from Perth after living in London for five years, I knew no one, right? And I just sat down and went, Where do I want to get a job? Alarmingly, the answer to that question was Dolly or Who Weekly at that time, (laughs) for whatever reason. So I went and got those magazines and I looked at the staff list and I got the name of the chief sub-editor and I rang the front desk and I said, could you put me through or give me the email address of this person? And then I contact that person directly because that's how you introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, you've got to go that extra mile in anything because that's how you do stand out. To
2: me, I just think, oh, wow, you haven't even bothered to find out who the fashion person at The Australian actually is. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. Unless it's an amazing
2: story that's clearly something. Mean, I'm just like, no. It, it's yeah.
1: totally the same when people reach out to us and if it's just like, hey, girl, well, there are mm. two of us so we can like always see straight through that one. <laughs> yeah, but, you it's, know, all, it's all written stuff. in singular. <laughs> yeah, and it does what really stands out to us because our inbox is full. I can only imagine how it full your inbox yeah. gets. When someone's taken the time to be like, hey, Justin and Steph, I saw you speak. We're speaking at this thing that I listened to this podcast interview and I loved this thing you talked about you know that's just it's really nice as a person because it's a human on the other end of that you feel really good and then you're kind of more connected to them and then you'll hear them out in what they have to say
2: absolutely so I do think for people wanting to get in touch for the first time obviously find out who you want to get in touch with find out their email address even if that's ringing the front desk or if it's like you know my email address is in my weekend magazine page so it's Mm. not that hard or rocket reach is this amazing website that we use you can get like never i heard of that, That it's so amazing. The
1: other day my dad was like, I really want to get in touch with Booking.com, the CEO from there. And I was like, yeah, give me a sec, yeah, here's his email address, you know, like you can just find anyone's.
2: Amazing, right, well there you go, I didn't know that. (laughs) So, you know, that's really basic and then send an email, don't make it too long. If it's a new brand, send one great photo and a paragraph about what you do. And then if I'm interested in that, I'll get back to you. It's as simple as that. And then, you know, eventually, you know, the phone thing is that tends to be with people that I have quite a good relationship with because I don't respond well to blanket emails that are going to everyone because it's Mm. like, well, if everyone's got this, then why why do we... Totally. You kind
1: of want to know you have something
2: different from them as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: And you've been to...
0: A lot of fabulous fashion events around the world. We know that because we bumped into you at a lot of them. Think in New York mostly. Is there like a favorite show or a party or something that like really stands out for you that you've been to?
2: Yeah, look, there's a few, and this is where it, where the glamour does kick in, I guess. But last year was pretty hilarious because I had all these random royal run-ins. <gasps> Oh, so, do tell. So last January, I think it was, I was at Buckingham Palace. <gasps> oh, no. my gosh.
0: We're not even royal people, but I feel and like fun. No, I'm not fun. either.
2: I'm really not. And it was really – I mean, and it started when I got the invitation at my office in Sydney. And I'm just – I was talking to a colleague and it was sort of around Christmas time and I thought – there's not that many people in the office and we're opening this thing. It looks quite official, you know. I'm like, oh, what's this? Buckingham Palace, <laughs> ha, ha, as if, you know. And we're like, oh, that's really funny. Like someone sent you this mock thing. Oh, shit, <laughs> there's a thing for the car to get you through security. This actually might be legit. But I only managed to be there because another trip, sponsored trip, came up to go to London and Paris and it just timed perfectly with fashion week and this event at Buckingham Palace. And so there were about six Australians there so Edwina from Vogue was there, Julie Bishop was there.
0: Oh my <laughs> so god. Julie
2: Bishop and I got in trouble for taking photos. Oh. <laughs> She's trouble that woman. I tell you she is trouble. And so it was just this weird this random thing and Kit Willow was there because one of her pieces it was a sustainable fashion initiative and everyone's just wandering around going what the and then at one point there was like a room where they had the bar. So we wanted I think Julie at I wanted to get a drink, so we went in and the only people, it was pretty much an empty room, it was just where the waiters were coming and getting the drinks and leaving. The only people in that room were Australians standing at the bar. It was like Alexander Downer. It was <laughs> Marion Hume who's based in in the UK and I was with Karen Walker was there as well and we walked in and just said dudes we have to break this up we cannot be the only people at the bar at Buckingham Palace (laughs) and then Alexander Downer says this is such a great story he says you know what this room is and we're like no and he's like this is the throne room and we're like what and he's like see that curtain behind that curtain is and you could just see the top of the bloody throne And I said, well, it's probably right that they cordoned that off Because you can imagine fashion peeps are just going to be taking selfies in
0: (laughs) You guys after the bar would have just been jumping in on this So that was
2: funny And then I was at that show, the Richard Quinn show That the Queen came to (gasps)
0: Amazing Oh my
2: god And that was like no one knew that was going to happen that's crazy. And it was crazy. like the, uh, everyone just thought it was, you know, because there's all the catwalk and the wallpaper and stuff was this kind of faded chintzy florals that he loves to do in his prints and and okay. I didn't know much about him at the time or that he was about to win this award and they kept putting these announcements over the loudspeaker. You know how at fashion shows they just like to set a scene and set a tone and a mood and it's all like, ladies and gentlemen, we, should, we would like you to take your seats before the Richard Quinn show and I'm just like, oh, they're going for this faded Aristo thing, right? Okay, fine. <laughs> And there was this seat, Anna Wintour was in the front row and there were about five seats around her that were empty and one by one people kept coming in and shaking her hand and sort of sitting around her. And just before the show started, some random dude just did the front row punt and just went and sat next to Anna. And she just gave him the look because I'm sitting about three seats along from her, behind her, and security just came and swept him up, took him out and then over the loudspeaker they said would you all please rise for her majesty the queen and we still thought it was a joke yeah and like could, part of the show yeah and then you could see on the other side of the seating everyone just went oh! and then this little gray-haired woman came in I was like I still thought it was an impersonator <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone stood up and i was like oh shit it's actually her and, oh my like, and everyone's got their phones going can we oh, can we can we can we take a photo like
1: Oh, I feel How like surreal. yeah. Royal sightings must—they top every other. Celebrity I met Prince sighting. Charles
2: again a few months ago for the second time as well. Oh, <laughs>
1: oh my gosh!
2: At his at his estate in Scotland for, oh, a, there you for a story. There so is it's a little very weird. In there. I know it's and royals are not my thing, but it's kind of it's weird. It's That's a different amazing. It's a very protocol-like world, you know.
0: Uh-huh. You're also a jazz singer. And actually when I read that, that made me feel really good because I am also a yoga teacher and sometimes I feel really guilty that I have this these two loves and they're not at all the same and I get different things from both of them but, you know, I feel like you're only allowed to do one thing. You're only allowed to be passionate about one thing. Yeah. So, no. But- how have you kind of like been able to balance the two?
2: With great difficulty, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I think increasingly, I, I hope anyway. And I think I think yoga teaching is the perfect side gig for any. Well,
0: it's great because it's in the morning and at night. Yeah. So I get to be at work in the yeah. middle.
2: And also it helps to just calm things, right? Oh yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, that's really good. You can maybe, take. I'll find out where some classes are because <laughs> I need to get back <laughs> on track with that. Anyway. Yeah, no, it was like I said, I was always, always had the day job to supplement the singing thing and the balance went the other way, I guess. And so I remember one of my teacher's a very wonderful great, late great Kerry Bedell when I was seeing her in Sydney moaning about things at one point that I wasn't you know where I should be and she went honey it depends what you want it depends if you want a Blue Note contract and be touring half the year and then maybe you're not where you want to be but it depends on what your definition of success is if, if you've got a gig once a month if that's enough then that's fine. And look, I still probably, in whatever sense, don't have the jazz career that I would like right now, but I'm still doing it. And with a job like I have in the daytime and at nighttime and all that, I'm still happy to be doing it. But it's hard because, you know, I live in an apartment, it's hard to practice late at night, for example, and I don't like to practice because I have a piano at home that I use Mostly for practice because I'm no pianist. But out of respect for my neighbours, I don't like to practice after seven. I don't often get to practice as much during the week as I'd like. So the weekends are when I get to practice more often. A lot of the events, the gigs I do these days are more sort of event gigs because I think people find it a bit of a novelty. Oh, the fashion editor who's also a jazz singer, do you want to sing at our event? I'm like, sure. Uh Uh Yeah,
1: like (laughs) I want you to sing at our event. I think it's so cool.
2: And, you know, and I'm just, I've been so blessed with the musicians that I play with. Carl Dewhurst, who I met in London 25 years ago (laughs) and he was introduced to me by my mentor and dear beloved friend Ian Shaw who's just one of the best singers in the business and I went to him for a singing lesson when I first got there and I got his number from Ronnie Scott because my singing teacher in Perth said, oh, well, when you get there, give Ronnie Scott a call. And I'm like, yeah, sure, because you're 25 and you're the plucky kid in town. Like, you would do that. I could never do that now, but you yeah. should all do that, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And so
2: I met Ronnie Scott. He said, come to the club, make yourself known. You know, made me watch some music and then said, right, you know, what did you want? Whose number did you want? I'm like, well, I've read about these singers. I need a teacher. But I've read about this guy, Ian Shaw. He sounds good. He's, oh, yes, brilliant singer, wonderful piano player. And I left that room with the the phone numbers of three of the best best jazz singers in London. And I just went, oh, that's weird. Ah. And rang Ian the next day and said... Oh, hi, um my name's Glenna, you know the introduction. Ronnie Scott gave me your number, and he went, "What Rebecca on the front desk he went? No, no, I met I met Ronnie last night. he's he's like, "Who's this fucking upstart from australia? what the what the hell you?" Know? <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, I don't take many students, but let's see how we get on." And so I went over and and I still remember to this day, I, I went to his house and we chatted for about forty minutes, and he, we just got on like a house on fire. And then he said, "Oh, I suppose I should hear you sing, And I went. Oh, we've been having such a nice time. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And then we did a song and he was playing piano and, and then he said, oh, that's a relief. And I said, what? And he said, well, you can sing. I said, well, that's why I'm here. And he said, no, no, but you can. I said, well, what do you mean? He's going, y- you have no idea how many people come through the door saying they can sing and they can't sing. I'm like, really? In London? And he went, oh, yeah more than anywhere. I'm like, yeah. really? So he really took me under his wing and he was wonderful and got me my first gig and he got me up on stage at Ronnie Scott's, my first ever thing I ever did in London. And, and that was amazing. And I just, we are still in touch today. I'm putting this out there now so that I kick myself up the ass because he said he will produce the vocals on my next album. Uh, so I'm just like, yeah, we really have to get onto that because we did the last one 17 years ago. Oh, uh, it's on Spotify. There you go. you well, can hear, put hear it. it out into yeah. The universe now. Well, we're going to go listen to it
1: and we can't wait for the next yeah. one. Very excited. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, the theme of the fashion festival this year is fashion's wonderland. So, we are asking all our guests if you could create Glynis's wonderland, where would it be? Who would you be with? And what would you be doing?
2: <laughs> right about now, my wonderland would be my couch. <laughs> <laughs> a stack of crime novels, a really good single malt, possibly the Balvini twelve year double wood matured, very nice drop. Um, <laughs> but let's say you know, possibly wearing an Yves Saint Laurent vintage, the smoking tuxedo. That's pretty clear. No deadlines, no Wi-Fi, no email. <laughs> that, that sounds great. like that's that sounds awesome. like heaven to me.
0: That sounds like you in a
1: wonderland. So I think that's yeah. An I'd be answer. pretty
2: happy with that. <laughs> Awesome. So if people are
1: interested in hearing more about you, where can they find you?
2: I'm on the Twitter. Um, That's probably my happiest place, although, and on Instagram at Glynis TN. Anyone who's following me on Instagram, though, I should warn you that if you're there for the fashion That is a very small part of what I post. Otherwise, there is a lot of my cat and bin chickens, which is a particular niche that I've taken on board. And also music-wise, my other CD is called After Blue under GT Nash. And that's, God, you can buy it on iTunes and everywhere or at cdbaby.com or on Spotify even. God forbid. Amazing. Crazy.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for making the time for us. We know how busy you are. So, we really appreciate it. It has been
2: an absolute pleasure. Thanks,
1: (laughs) Glenys. So, if you did get so much out of listening to this episode, we would love to ask you a little favor and ask you to help us get the word out about this awesome podcast. You can do that in a few ways. You can leave a review or a five star rating if you're feeling generous in your podcast app, you can share the episode with a friend. You can share a pic of you listening on Instagram and do definitely make sure you go over to Facebook and you join us, How to Live the Podcast Facebook group. We love chatting to you guys there. We love getting any feedback on what guests you'd love to see. And we also share some bonus content there. So come on over. And
0: if you did want to get tickets to the amazing talk with Kath Wills, the link is in our show notes. Tickets are $10. So why wouldn't you come really? We'll see you the savo back here in your ears for an amazing conversation with Sarah Gale, the founder of AMPR, which is the PR company that heads up the entire
1: fashion festival and they are just badass. Oh, yeah, they are. In the meantime, we hope you have a really good few hours without us and we'll be warming up our vocal cords to sing some jazz. See ya. Terry likes jazz, man. <laughs> <laughs>